Thanks, Sergeant Hot Dog. Sergeant Hot Dog, is that what we're calling the robot voice now? Apparently so. Yes. Who came up, who came up with that one? That was me. Of course. <laughs> if it involves a donut, I should have known. Okay. Uh, it was so. something, something else. Oh, okay. Anyway, welcome, welcome back. To, welcome to the Jamcast again. This time featuring original Andrew in just episode three. Three episodes in, and Andy's already missed a podcast. Episode. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I um missed the last episode because I was on vacation in Wisconsin with my family. Very nice. I can't tell you the last time I took a vacation just in the middle of the year without like a holiday or anything around it, you know? Like a vacation vacation? Yeah, like an actual vacation. <laughs> and boy, was it nice. I didn't even have to like beg for time off or anything. My boss was like, you never take time off, so just go. You know, here's a week. Nice. Yeah. So, that was real fun. I got to... um. I typically, when I go from Michigan to either Illinois or, or Wisconsin, I'll go through Chicago. But I did not do that this time. I decided to take the long way around. So I went up north of Michigan, up across the Mackinac Bridge, across the UP, and down through northern Wisconsin to get there. So uh, it was long, but boy, was it worth it because it was a very fun trip. So, but what would you feel or what would you think crossing the bridge? Uh, I, it was awesome. Unfortunately, there was construction on it, like there typically is, <laughs> uh, in the summertime. So Wait, I, construction in Michigan? That never happened. Uh, yeah, I know, especially on the Mackinac Bridge. I realize I honestly have not been across the Mackinac Bridge since I was a kid. When I was going, when I was driving up there, I was like, man, when's the last time I went across the bridge? And I, I honestly think it was when I was like eight or nine and our parents took us up to just, um, for like a day trip, uh, on Mackinac Island you know, got fudge and all, we went, we toured the fort up there and everything. And I honestly don't think I had been up there since. So, I mean, no joke. It's probably been 15 years or more. So that was real nice. So I, it would be, it would have been nice to cruise across it, you know, but unfortunately I was in like a traffic jam the whole time across it. Yeah. That'll a little have. bit better going back the other way, but, um, yeah, it was fun. It's like a 15 hour trip. Um, you, you know, it takes all day, but boy, is it nice. And even northern Wisconsin. Wisconsin's a really beautiful state, too. So, anyway, that's where I was uh, while you guys were having fun. Uh, I did listen to uh, to the podcast after it went live, though. I thought you guys did a pretty fun job. So, with that, I'll shut up for a second and let someone else say something. Yeah, it wasn't the same without uh, original Andy. <laughs> uh, I, I thought the the other Andy though he did a good job filling in, you know. Andrew is a good substitute. DC, you're here. Hip so, trio. first thing, I think, don't we typically do like a little pocket check? Do we? Is that a thing? Do we do that regularly now on this? If What's you feel so inclined, pockets? I won't I, stop you. I feel like we should. I vote yes. What's in your well, pockets, Jeremy? Nothing, because I'm wearing joggers. I'm wearing sweatpants, and I still got stuff in my pockets. It's no excuse, sir. 
I, I don't have anything in my pockets, but I have stuff around me. What do you have around you? I have my wallet, which is by Maxpedition. It's actually pretty nice. Um, it'd be a little bit slimmer if I didn't have my Fisher Space Pen, my Kershuffle, and my i3T EOS light in, in them. But it's a good, good wallet, regardless. And then various assortments of handy talkies and flashlights and self-defense instruments, sunglasses, and some pizza. Good Friday night pizza. Well, I uh, what I've been carrying around with me today um, for my knife, I've got a Benchmade bug out. Um, I like this knife a lot. I like the shape of the blade and the overall sort of dimensions of this thing. The thing that everyone complains about is how flimsy the scales are, which I also complain about. Um, but it's made to be like a super lightweight knife, so it makes sense. But uh, I've been thinking about trying to modify this with maybe some metal scales, aftermarket scales. But then every time I go to do that, I think, no, I kind of like the lightweightness of it, and I stop. So I've sort of been up and down with this thing, and it's great. The one objective problem I have with it is that the lock bar on this thing sticks, and it sticks because they used apparently, from what I'm told, I'm not a super knife nerd, but I hang out with a lot of knife nerds. Um, the lock bar on this thing is titanium to save weight, because they were trying to make a super lightweight knife. Where usually, on a Benchmade, the axis lock uses a, a steel lock bar, uh, and it breaks in real smooth and everything, but this titanium the way it wears is just weird, and it really likes to stick. So, like, this knife goes through periods where it'll break in, uh, and it'll be nice and smooth. And then you continue to wear with it, and then it'll go back to being sticky. And then you'll you'll fidget through it through that, and then it'll, it, like, alternates between being sticky and smooth, like, every few months. Very strange. Uh <laughs> I, if I could make one request, is that they make a version of this damn knife with without a lightweight consideration, where they're using steel lock bar and some more substantial scale material, and I think it would be like the perfect knife, quite frankly. So, that's a long-winded way to say that I'm carrying a Benchmade bug out, plus my thoughts on it, apparently. Uh, for my light, I've got my trusty uh, S... One R baton two in my pocket. I tend to pair my light with my knife most of the time. Um, so since I went going with like a little lightweight bug out because I've just got sweatpants on, I don't want something heavy weighing my pockets down. I went with sort of one of my smaller lights. I do have even smaller lights that are like key change size, but I figured since it's going to go in my pocket, this one it's a good pairing: the bug out and the S one R baton two, and they both are blue, so that works. And then in my flannel pockets, I've got my notebook. I've got my traveler's notebook, as always. And then I've got a fountain pen on me. So that's one of the, that's a subject we're going to have to talk about one of these days, is writing utensils. Because that's an interest that I have that you guys typically don't. But I'm, for any interested parties, carrying a brass shown design pocket six with Noodler's, um, uh, Noodler's Heart of Darkness ink. My favorite black ink. It's awesome. 
So that's what I'm carrying. That's my pocket check as I sit here talking to you guys. I have uh, this little thing I keep next to my bed. It's called a bento box. You can put pretty much anything in it. Got my isn't it, my. Isn't it, isn't it like a lunchbox thing, like a Japanese style lunchbox? Or do I have my words? The bento is is traditionally an organized Japanese lunchbox, but it, you know, it's the same basic concept. It's just a bento box organizing stuff. Right, right. Yeah, I gotcha. Okay, so I I was thinking the right thing. Indeed. What is in the bento box? So I have my uh, my at the front camouflage wallet. Um, I got my, uh, one of my trusty sog knives, my Flash 2. Is that the Tiger one that we st- saw, saw the helmet with? Yes, it is. It's a tiger stripe camouflage on it. I love that oh, thing. No. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a vanity knife. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, then I have, I have an Ellie police gear knife that, I mean, it cuts. Yeah. It's a thing. Then I have a Heckler and Coke knife to go along with my uh, other utensil that's in the box. With an additional magazine for said utensil. All right. Very cool. Then I have my uh, my trusty 511 pen knife sitting. Pen knife. Pen light. Excuse me, sitting here. <laughs> pen knife, pen light. I mean, might as, well right? three, might as well put them all three together and have a, a, a pen, ni- uh, pen light knife. Ooh. Like At uh, that point, you might as well get a Leatherman. But... Like a spork. It's like the spork of the EDC <laughs> world. <laughs> yes. When you said pen knife light, it reminded me of... Uh podcast that i listen to called whiskey knife fight <laughs> and it's uh it's done by uh taylor martin of best damn edc and jeremy sires who also runs his own youtube channel about like whiskey and a bunch of man shit and they get together almost every week and at least lately they haven't they talk <laughs> they talk about knives and watches and whiskey and all kinds of stuff that's interesting and they call it whiskey knife fight <laughs> interesting so yeah, I guess plug for that. Check that out, everybody. So as as we get closer to November, it's getting colder. Yeah. Although some some things are heating up. Yeah. In a socio political kind of sense. Uh it's been heating up for months, man. Uh yeah. Well if 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 the socio-political climate had, was the space heater, we'd all be, you know, feeling like we're in the Sahara Desert right about now. Yeah, you can definitely feel it, man. There's a lot of tension around. It feels like you can cut it with a knife. At least that's how I feel. Yeah, but what I know a lot of I've had more than more than one friend express concern about, you know, the aftermath because I think there's going to be a lot of lot of trouble no matter how the election goes and i i feel that being you know a lot of because a lot of my 
lot of my friends are wanting to get prepared. And one thing that I have been kind of, because you, you get the, the normal, you know, you want to keep ammo stocked. You want to you know, have things to defend yourself. But, you, you know, having a plate carrier with plates is important because that's just good to have. Uh, lights, you know, knives, that sort of thing. But comms seems to get overlooked a lot. And I've got a collection of radios, but Andy, you've got a ham life. So you could kind of chime in about, you know, yeah, emergency preparedness uh, with a ham radio and, you know, in an emergency situation, you know, what happens with being able to use a ham. Yeah. So uh, that's actually something that happened after the first episode that we recorded, which was back at the beginning of last month, the beginning of September, on the 9th, I finally had my license come through. So I'd been I'd been interested in ham radio for a few months here, and Matt, you actually put the idea in my head uh, earlier this year, and um, I've been sort of doing some preparation with my family. We've sort of been developing a family prep plan and things like that here and there as the summer has gone on, and uh, we all agreed that, you know, hey, communications like you mentioned matt are going to be very important so i kind of got that assigned to me sort of as like my primary action item so i really kicked it in the ass and i started um doing some research and of course you can find all sorts of great youtube resources out there um ham radio crash course is a really good one i'm in their discord too and people there are very helpful everything so um i started studying for my technician license back in july and um you can definitely move a little bit quicker on it if you can find a test around you um but i had to wait a little bit because there's not a ton of clubs here in our area there's like three or four of them but they're kind of spread out around uh sort of a wide area so i actually ended up taking my uh technician exam in a nearby town with a club that i'm not going to be affiliated with but um, um they were they were really cool guys and everything so i took that test maybe mid-july and uh or actually um it was in august uh, later august actually um i don't know why i said mid-july <laughs> it was late august and it took you know a week and a half to two weeks for my once i passed for my technician license to come through and i got that a few days after we recorded the last podcast so um my call sign is um ke8pjq that got assigned to me uh, by the FCC, and so I've been hitting the airwaves around here. I've been talking on some local repeaters, trying to get to know some of the people around here and some of the clubs, sort of as a starting out thing. Um, I do have sort of grander designs, like you were mentioning, Matt, for sort of trying to establish emergency communications. And, and for that in ham, there are um, there are several, uh, I guess you'd say, established ways of doing that. Um, there's a uh, Aris and uh, there's a there's another uh, uh, races, which is more military emergency communications. But um, basically, if you're a ham radio operator, and and just so everyone's aware, ham is actually just a slang term for the actual fully qualified term, which is amateur radio. Uh, no one really knows exactly how the word ham came to be associated with amateur. Um, there's you know go and read there's a bunch of theories about maybe where it started but it's kind of one of those things that no one exactly knew how it 
how it took, but it just kind of stuck way back in the day. So um, in any case, uh, hams, as they call them, just people who are into ham radio can sort of uh, volunteer their time and equipment to help local law enforcement and emergency personnel in times of emergency. Um, just as an example, um, back in 2005, when Hurricane Katrina devastated Louisiana, um, the ham operators in the area became pretty vital because it knocked out a lot of communication lines there. And uh, they were they were pretty instrumental in helping the local emergency response sort of rescue people and, and get communications around the state. So there's a couple of those big organizations like Aries and Races that you can get involved in to sort of hone your, your um, emergency comm skills. But then on top of that, there's, you know, you can form your own little groups and sort of uh, come up with communication plans and things like that. Because while you need a license to transmit on ham radio, uh, you can li- anyone can listen, but in order to transmit, you need to be licensed. Um, but during times of emergency, those restrictions are lifted, so you can use ham radio um, even if you're not licensed. But that being said, you kind of have to know how to use it, so it's good to try to get some practice with how the system works and also who some of the local hams are, so that way um, if you ever do find yourself in your that emergency situation, you're not trying to sort of figure it out on the fly. So, um, yeah, I guess that's sort of all I have to say about that. It's been really fun um, just getting on repeaters and talking with people. It's just kind of cool that you can use this what seems like sort of primitive technology to talk to people all over the place. Um, I personally just have a single what they call a handy talkie, so it's a little handheld radio. Um, They call them an HT for short. Um, I've been experimenting with a couple of antenna upgrades and things like that, but I think my next big project is going to be trying to increase my power output because um, even if you have good antennas and things like that, the wattage output of your radio really affects the quality of your radio signal. So, um, you know, this little handy talk, you can only do five watts, which is good for a few miles, you know, really just line of sight and things like that. Um, but some of the stories you may have heard about ham radio operators talking to each other across the world really actually has to do with um, high frequency communication. And this is this is kind of counterintuitive. So um, there's HF, which is high frequency. There's VHF, which is very high frequency. And there's a UHF, which is ultra high frequency. They were very creative when they named these. The counterintuitive thing is that you'd think that VHF and UHF would be the the types of signals that would go very long ways. But in fact, those are the ones that are relatively limited on distance, really to the horizon. You can't really bend a radio signal around the horizon of the Earth, which if you're a normally sized human, which is about five foot 10 or six foot or something, the horizon's only about three miles in any direction. So unless you get an antenna way up in the air, like a repeater tower to extend that horizon, or you, you know, you put your own antenna on your roof or something like that, something to extend your horizon distance, you're really kind of limited. So the lower frequencies, which are HF, are actually the much more interesting ones that hams will they follow really the get into. The they don't actually. They bounce off the ionosphere. So you're doinking it off the atmosphere. That's how you get signals over the horizon. And depending on the wavelength, you know, there's bands all over the HF. Uh, spectrum and depending on your wavelength 
um, you can uh, get your signal quite a ways. And so that's how those these ham guys they talk to each other all over the world. Um, and also, solar activity has a lot to do with it. So um, if I'm jumping around here, feel free to stop me and ask questions because I'm just sort of rambling. But there's three levels of ham radio licensing. There's um, technician, general, and extra. Yeah, there used to be like five. There used to be some intermittent ones, but now they just simplified it to those three. Technician is sort of the entry-level one. That's the license that I got for now, and it at least lets you get on the air, and it mostly gives you access to the EHF, UHF spectrum. You do get a little bit of HF, um, but it's not a, you know it's not very much. Most of the interesting HF frequencies and most of the interesting stuff to do with ham radio lies in the general category a little bit harder it takes a little bit more studying and i know that most people well i wouldn't i shouldn't say most some people when they go to to take their licensing exam they'll take their technician and if they pass that the club will typically let them um go for their general right there so you don't have to pay a sec uh, like a second um uh, test fee at a later time so a lot of people will try to double up they'll try to take your their technician and their general all in one and then Extra is um, the highest level you can attain, and that gets you access to all of the bands. And you're sort of the uh, the cream of the crop at that point if you have a ham radio extra license. Um, so I think at some point my goal is going to be to get a general so that I can get into HF. But for now, um, in the in the interest of emergency preparedness, I think a technician license and a handy talkie is enough to sort of get you off the ground. And I've I've Beyond just sort of uh, something to do as far as work, you know, actually preparing, it's been really fun. And I think I've sort of found another hobby for myself in sort of messing around with this stuff. So Because you need um, more hobbies. I know. God, it's killing me. <laughs> I've got enough stuff as it is. But um, this one's really fun. And, of course, you know, it appeals to the same sort of, uh, I don't know, the same sort of uh, gadget guy stuff. Um, interest that i have so i when i started getting into it i'm like i know i'm gonna fall into this as a hobby i can just tell and sure enough it's like oh this is really fun so yeah i think um i think just having a radio is probably a good idea and you know you know this matt you can get into uh, a, a ham radio like a baofeng you know the really popular one that people get is the uv5r like a 20 dollar radio and uh it works it works just fine for listening and and you know doing basic transmissions and things like that you know um and then it just goes up from there you know but you know these little twenty dollar baofangs have gotten a lot of people into ham radio if not just to listen and learn how repeaters work and things like that and i think it's just good to have one on hand so that if you know we do ever find ourselves in an emergency situation uh and it you know it doesn't have to be uh one caused by political strife it can be a that you know a meteor could hit earth tomorrow and we could be in a similar situation. So whether it's natural disasters or man-made bullshit or, you know, whatever, um, it's it's definitely a good idea to have, like you were saying. Matt, it's, to, at the very events. least, at the very least, to be able to listen so you can exactly. find, look out, you know, be able to listen for trouble areas or, you know, people needing help in a trouble area. Exactly. Or, yep. you know, like I, I've been keeping mine on except for today uh when i'm home to at least listen to the local county dispatch right yeah you hear a lot of accidents i've heard uh reports of a stabbing uh 
lot of medical issues, but you know, occasionally you find something going down and knowing your area, you know, is just it's it's nice to know that they're nice to be able to hear that that stuff's happening. So if you hear something near you, you can, you know, kind of be on the watch out for it. Yeah, I totally agree. But having, you know, not having the, the cost of the, you know, you know, if I don't want to, you know, for instance, uh, want to necessarily get into ham radio as a hobby, or I just don't want to, I'm not able to get, you know, you know hypothetically speaking, um, I'm not able to afford a license. You know, there's things like MERS radios where it's a specified va- uh, band, which you have to get a specific type of radio. And that's something that can be transmitted on by anybody. You don't need a license to, to use. And that's also really handy because, you know, if you think something's emergency, but maybe the federal government doesn't really consider it emergency, you still have that backup radio as well as the fact that I, I even have a CB radio in my Jeep for mobile use. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about that is with those kinds of radios like CB and uh, MERS and things like that, the equipment itself limits the frequencies that you can transmit on. So it's it's self-regulating. You're not going to accidentally jump outside of the band that you're authorized for and jump into something that, you know... Right, um, which is... It's illegal, which is nice, you know, whereas with a ham radio... The radio is designed to give you the access to the whole, you know, frequency spectrum that it's rated for, so you can screw up, you know. Right. <laughs> so, like you said, it's nice to have an emergency like MERS radio, so you can take that risk out or whatever. And it, by the way, it's not like the FCC is coming breaking down people's doors like the FBI search team for this kind of thing. They're they're of course enforcing these laws against people who are, you know, abusing, abusing it for it. criminal activity and things like that. So. Not that I'm advocating anyone break the law at all. You should definitely follow the law. But um, again, like we stated, in times of emergency, those rules all get lifted anyway. So if you've got your $20 Baofeng and you need to call for help, you know, right? you can but do that now. But, and that, that that was kind of my point. It's just having that difference. You know, say you, you're having a local emergency and you need to communicate. Maybe the FCC didn't really see it as an emergency per se you know having a MERS radio would be very beneficial so that you can still you can avoid that legal gray area and but still be able to communicate or you're you're going out with a a group of people maybe going out hiking or to a convention something where there's a lot of people a lot of distance but you want to keep in touch with people you know having like a MERS radio that anybody can transmit on you know without getting into the blister pack radios that are, you know, they're expensive, they're, they're limited, but everybody and their brother uses them. So finding a quiet channel to use is difficult. Right. Exactly. Whereas on a ham, it's very easy actually to find quiet um, frequencies of of VHF, UHF spectrum. So, um, and, and also just a note, you know, what you can be traced when you're transmitting on one of these radios but if you think about what i said before about how well with just a simple handy talkie you're kind of limited by the horizon so in order for someone to actually track you down they have to triangulate you based on your uh transmissions so that means who if someone's trying to track you down they have to be in your broadcast area with triangulation equipment so i mean it's like an operation so they have to they have to be looking <laughs> they for gotta be somebody. looking for you yeah they got that's like a big operation so 
the only people that are getting, you know, again, I'm not advocating anyone breaks the law. At the very least, you're going to piss off your local clubs if you get on a repeater, for example, and you don't have authorization to. That actually, <laughs> that actually happened on a on a repeater here local to me. I was listening to it uh, just this week, um, or it was last week. Sorry. And uh, some poor soul wandered onto a VHF UHF band on a repeater around. I don't know how they did it or what they were using, but they were like, hello, is anyone there? You know, they weren't following any of the etiquette for how you give your call sign or anything. And one of the old guys hopped on and was like, uh, hello, who is this? You know, and they were like, is this a, is this a ham band? <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you can't transmit on this unless you're licensed. Get the hell out of here. You know, <laughs> these agitated old guys, you know, so. Um, Get off my lawn. Yeah, but but again, you know. So someone's got to be looking for you in order to actually. So if you screw up and you kerchunk a repeater by mistake or something, like you're you're fine. It's not. This is not like the FBI and FCC are are hunting down people who are accidentally transmitting on band. You know, so don't get that idea. But anyway, also something that I I had forgotten to mention. I think you you mentioned hey some people might not be able to maybe afford a a ham radio license. Um, it's very cheap actually to get a, uh, to get a technician license. It cost me 15 bucks and you just gotta, uh, find a club that's cause they're all volunteer, um, exams that are put on. You have to get an exam that is sponsored by the ARRL, which is the American radio relay league. They're the big national ham club that the FCC works with. So if you get a test administered by a club that administers the ARRL test, that's where you, you know, where you get your licensing. So, um, their in-person uh, exams are not hard to find. Typically, um, I, I've noticed typically clubs will do like one or two tests every two to three months, and it's usually you know the second Thursday on an even month or something like that. Um, you know, because they got to rent out space in like a community center to do it. So, um, the fees just basically help cover the cost of doing that. You know, renting out a space so that they can do it. Um, so the people who administer the exams are all volunteers, usually from a local ham radio club. So I think it's also good to get into it too, because it's sort of a hobby that in recent years has been really waning. You know, you'll find that most of your clubs are, are packed with old guys, which there's nothing wrong with that, but, um, they're definitely, it's a hobby or, or, or a skill that could definitely use an infusion of younger people. into it. And, uh, I know that just by talking with some of the hams, that I've talked to since sort of getting into this, they, uh, for example, at the, uh, the, when I went for my test, um, they were saying that they've definitely seen a big uptick in the amount of tests that they're giving the people, the amount of people coming to test. So, um, if you're thinking about getting into ham is emergency preparedness, especially with current events being as they are, you're not alone. You know, you don't feel weird. Don't feel like you're a, a, a worry wart. Trust me, a lot of Americans are feeling the same way right now, and um, you're in good company if you're if you're thinking about doing. A lot of people have done it, and you'll see, you'll see a lot of you know the prep guys on YouTube. They're all advocating for it. Get your ham radio license. Just just get it now. Get a radio. Learn how to use it. Learn how to program it. So that way, when it if the time does come, you know what you're doing, and you're not just trying to fumble around with it in a time of emergency so i i can't i can't recommend it enough if you're thinking about it if you're on the fence just do it it's honestly not that hard the questionnaire the the te- it was 35 questions 
uh, I got a study guide for free on the internet that was really nice. And the cool thing is, is that the question pool, there's like 400 questions in the pool. So they pick 35 questions out of that pool and they're all, of course, categorized. So they're the structure of the test is they're pulling so many questions out of section 4B and they're pulling so many questions out of the pool out of section, you know, 9C um, based on the structure. And the cool thing is, is that the question pool and the structure of the test is all public knowledge because the FCC puts it out and they're a public organization. So you can find free phone apps that people have made with the current question pool, and you can take practice exams with the actual questions that go on the test, where you can get a random test generated for you. And basically what I did is I, I went through the study guide and made notes. It took me maybe 15 to 20 hours worth of studying that I did over a couple of weeks. And then I was you know, studying the, the little section quizzes, and then I was taking practice exams on uh, a free phone app. Um, until I was scoring 80% with regularity. And at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm confident enough that, you know, I've scored 80 or more percent on the last 12 tests I've taken. So I'm sure when I go there, I'll be fine. So, and it's really not hard stuff. Most of it is like regulatory. There's some safety stuff in there because with some of this stuff, you can be working potentially with, with, uh, voltages that could hurt you. And a lot of ham obviously is sort of, um, uh, of do it yourself people will build their own antennas out of paper clips for example but you know they have some common sense safety stuff in there like okay if you're gonna just hook up a bunch of paper clips to a power source like be careful please don't zap yourself or burn your house down you know so they've got basic stuff in there about that regulations you know really basic questions about um you know how many megahertz is a kilohertz do you know the equation for power so honestly if you have a high school education in math and science this is no problem. You'll probably just have to brush up on it. So um, anyway, the point I'm trying to make is that it's both easy and cheap and available. So really, as long as you can put a little bit of time into it, it's really not a big deal. And I think the benefit of it is great. I, can, I can't recommend it enough. So I will stop yapping my gums here. Let's well, get a word in edgewise. <laughs> yeah, it's not yapping so much. It's you're you're telling information that's that's good information. Yeah, yeah. I'm bad about that. <sighs> What's everybody drinking tonight? By the way, not to change the subject. I've got Dr Pepper and water. Hmm. Jeremy, you sipping on anything? Water. And I'm the only one drinking beer. All right. Guess we know who the alcoholic is. My God. <laughs> Don't worry. I've been flying with a guy. Uh, on Two Tone Murphy stream tonight, and I'm flying with a bunch of guys. And granted, they're over in you know Ireland and UK. They're and, drinkers. And well, I mean, over there it's five hours ahead, and so when <laughs> Murphy's stream starts, it's already eight o'clock at night. Right, so, they're already a couple deep, probably. Yeah, so nice. I'm, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm just like, yeah, I'm not really that exciting because for us, the stream starts at three in the afternoon. And, right. Um. But I do no. enjoy the uh, the evening crispy boy. Uh, I just cracked a, a Bell's hazy IPA. So I'd like I'm to. En I'm enjoying that. I'd like to get some hard cider. I haven't had any in a while, and it's probably if I'm going if I were to enjoy one drink a night, it'd be an, a cider. That's good, and it's relatively low on the alcohol content too. So, you know, you're having a little bit, but not a ton. That's good, healthy. So 
Yeah. But yeah, I, I just, I like the idea of having radios and multiple forms of communication because you never know. A, it's, it's a redundancy factor. You know, if two is one, one is none, et cetera, right? Yeah. And so that way, you know, I've got the MERS radio. I technically have, I, I have the UV5R and that's just the regular ham. I've got a commercial uh, Baofeng. It's like a, it's an up, a model, a model or two up, and it's somehow made commercial grade. I still don't even understand what it means uh, necessarily. Um, <laughs> but then I've got the MERS radio, so that you know I can use the radio if I if if someone else has the MERS radio because the MERS radio is limited by the hardware, so that it has to be a particular set of hardware that to be able to transmit properly on. MERS frequency, so like I right. couldn't use a ham radio to transmit on MERS. Um, but and then you get and you know, so I've got those three as far as handhelds, and I've got uh, the CB, you know, in my in my car. That way, just you know, no matter where I am, what I'm doing, I have some sort of communication redundancy. Right, that's not your cell phone. Yeah, because you you never know when someone's gonna flip the switch and those things don't work anymore. Yep, I know. Me and my family, we've been talking. I've been I mentioned how I'm working on sort of preparedness with them. We've sort of been trying to work on okay, how can I communicate with you guys in Wisconsin? You know, for anyone who doesn't know the geography of the Midwest, there's a giant lake called Lake Michigan <laughs> in between Wisconsin and Michigan. Uh, so it's a long trip to get over there, and also. If something were to happen and cell phone networks were to go down, which is pretty likely, uh, you know, those are some of the most fragile, uh, you know, the internet and some of this advanced communication, you know, probably go down pretty quickly, especially with everyone making emergency phone calls. So we've been working on, okay, we've got ham radios. How can we communicate? And and another aspect of ham uh, that's sort of given it new life in the 21st century is, um, the ability to do link repeater networks where you can link a repeater in your local area to a repeater in Delhi, India, for example, and you can talk to people around the world, even if you don't have high frequency ham equipment. So um, there's all sorts of digital stuff nowadays too, where you can get your radio to actually transmit digital signals. Uh, it's, it's really amazing how they've sort of kept ham radio alive too. So I, I think everything you're saying, Matt, is 100% right on the nuggets with redundancy and, and having other ways other than just pressing the button on a radio and going, is there anybody out there, you know? Um, yeah, I think I think you definitely hit the nail on the head with that as far as well, yeah, a lot of Yeah, a lot of that mentality comes just from, you know, you, know, you get any kind of security or military, you know, experience and you you really start to understand the uh, have an appreciation for you know redundant systems because you know from an efficiency standpoint it uh, it seems awfully you know inefficient to have redundant systems especially if something super reliable but you know that one time where that that real reliable thing stops and then you don't have a backup you're screwed yeah, you know, and you know, especially when you start talk, getting into emergencies and that sort of thing, communications super important because you know you have to be able to communicate whether you're the one that lost or someone else is lost. You know, you you got to be able to you know communicate and be 
be able to hear and listen and sometimes hear on one channel and respond on another. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually brings to mind maybe an exercise you and I can do because we're we're actually in the same town. Uh, although you're sort of across town, we should see if we could uh, try to communicate on like Simplex or something like that. You'd you'd be, be <laughs> you you you'd be much more to be able to set that up. You'd be you'd be the one that would have to do the the legwork because yeah I can, yeah I, I have can no talk on the radio, but you you've got the the technical knowledge right now that I don't. Right. Yep. Yeah, we can definitely try to work that out. I'm just curious if my radio will actually get across town like that. Because the interesting thing is, I have, you know, I can hit a repeater that's actually like quite a ways out of the way. It's funny how line of sight works. Because I've, I've, we've, I've got one repeater that's near me, like it's a couple miles from me, and uh, I can barely hit it because it's, I guess, just the geography of where I am and the antenna that I'm using just sucks. So I have a lot of trouble hitting that one. But then there's one like ten miles south of us that apparently I just have clear line of sight to because I can hit that clear as day from like my my parking lot. <laughs> That's the one I've been mostly listening on. So in that same vein, I'm wondering, okay, you're you're in that general direction from me as well. I wonder if I could just broadcast out on Simplex and have you in. So that'll be a that'd be a cool little thing we can work on on the side. That'd be a cool little project. I'm testing something out because I when I get a thought in my head, I tend have a tendency to do that. Immediately, yes, yes. Um Jeremy, have you ever thought about getting into this? Do you have any interest in ham radio at all, or no, it's all just Chinese for you? Yeah, it's pretty much all Chinese for me. <laughs> no interest in in getting prepared with emergency communications, or do you have that all worked out some other way? Yeah. <laughs> me and me and Matt are riding solo on this, or I guess as a pair on this one. Communication scanner, is very important, so. Jeremy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the downside with the scanner, though, is you, you you can listen, but that doesn't do you a whole lot of good to you know if you get in a spot of trouble. Plus, you get a neat call sign. See, I got cool things now. I mean, I'm still not sold that I would get a ham license necessarily, because chances are, I'm I'm only going to use it in the case of an emergency anyway. Um, just, just because it's, you know, I, as interesting as it would be, I've got so many other things kind of, you know, absorbing my, my time and energy right now, um, as it is, but, you know, maybe down the line, you know, I've got, but I've got the, the radios for at least, I've got something that I can use in, for general use. And then I, I have something for emergencies. For me, that's good enough just because. You know, in the in the in the event of emergency, I'm able to communicate, and I'm also able to at least listen, and which is really the that's half the battle, man. Just well, listen. yeah, and that's 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 the main thing that I I wanna that I wanted the radius for to begin with. I don't necessarily want to yep. get into hams as a hobby. It'd be it, it would kind of alleviate some legality issues having the license, but at the same time. You know, if even if I had it, I don't necessarily think that I'd make it a hobby per se. Yeah, and I and I listened. I I just listened while I was studying because I got my radio while I was still going for my license. So I did the same thing. You know, I was just listening for a long time. You know, you and I'd go on walks, 
we each have our radios. We just listen to something, a repeat or a frequency, something. So yeah, yeah. like like you like said, I even even that's worthwhile. Dispatch. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Or uh, Noah, you know, the the, the yeah. weather is always getting broadcast. It's just it's just super useful. I really can't recommend it enough, even if you're just going to get one to listen. So anyway, uh, yeah, like so Forrest, like Forrest Gump said, that's all I have to say about that. So interesting note. Andy is straight line distance from you to me is roughly four and a half mile. You could probably do it. But a little less. While you're while you're doing that measurement, can you measure from uh, my place ish, the corner of KL and Drake, to roughly down by Romance, down by the park where we walk? Because you can actually see the repeater. Uh, while we're walking on the trail there by the swamp, by the big um, power towers, you know? Uh, it's Mar- right down, right down there on Romans. Yeah, it's right down there by Romans. I would ha- I'd be willing to bet that's 7 or 8 or 10 miles or something like that. So there's an example right there of the horizon being extended because the tower that I'm hitting is hundreds of feet tall. So is for it- that, the horizon is longer. Where where specifically is the radio tower at there? Is uh, it... it's at it's at the corner of Romance and some other road that I think it's Lovers and Romance. Um it's right around there somewhere. Okay, well, okay. It's just uh five point eight two. Okay, so it's not quite as long as I thought it was. But it is longer than the distance between me and you, so Yeah, by about a, almost a mile and a half. But it's also hundreds of feet in there, so we'll see. We'll we'll get on Simplex and see if we can't just uh, hear each other or whatever. Yeah. Anyway, that'll be a cool side project. I guess maybe we'll report on our findings in the next episode. That'd be, I, that'd I, be I su- fun. Yeah, and I I, su- I suppose we we could pick a pick a topic that Jeremy can chime in on. You know, because <laughs> we've been kind of dominating the yeah talking sort space. Of. That's true. I, uh, this is gun related. I can start this off though. Um, if you guys want to talk about this, I don't want to dominate the talking space anymore than I need to here. <laughs> Jeremy. Did we lose him? Is he there? I'm here. Okay. What do you got on your list of things to talk about? Oh, our, uh, our Supreme Court in Michigan basically told our governor to sit on and rotate today. So I'm ecstatic <laughs> about that about damn time. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently we've been living under tyranny for three months, two months, however the hell long it is. Oh, May, what May, is June, July, August, four months. It's, it's not like people have been crying out that it's been tyrannical for the last so many months. Yeah. Our illustrious uh, dear leader in Michigan got told by our Supreme Court today that every uh, extension of her quote unquote powers, we can really put quotes around that now, um, has been illegal since the end of April. So, yeah. Right. So, yeah, for those who may not be in the know, we are in Michigan. And our governor is Gretchen Whitmer, who I think has made fairly decent national headlines, mostly because she's been very anti-Trump. So that's sort of put her uh, she's uh, been at the, the forefront of the Democratic Party. She was politics. trying to she was trying to demonstrate her ability to be a VP. Yes, yeah, she was trying to show her, you know, I'm going to take Trump on or whatever. And 
Um, again, I'm no, I'm no huge fan of Trump, so don't misconstrue what I'm trying to say as like hooray Trump. But yeah, um, we've been under you know uh, state of emergency continually since you know April, really. And so, like you're saying, Jeremy, they basically said, hey, you can only do this for a month. And you continuing to declare and extend this state of emergency so that you can continue issuing executive orders has all been unconstitutional under the Michigan Constitution for four months now. She could only have done it for a month. So, cool. (laughs) From uh, what I've read, and, you know, I'm no, none of us are constitutional law experts. Oh, you guys aren't? I graduated with a law degree, constitutional. No, but I did stay at Holiday Inn Express. (laughs) I did stay at Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know the immediate impact of that. Like, I don't know if this stupid mask mandate is going to be gone. I don't know if, you know, shoving people in the nursing homes is gone. I I don't know. I don't know if everything's suddenly invalidated. Nobody seems to know from the articles that I've read. This just happened. I think around dinner time, like six o'clock ish, this just happened. So obviously, uh, the next uh, podcast, we hopefully will have more answers as to what uh, what non tyrannical life in Michigan looks like. If, yeah. if 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 I could make some speculation as to what's going to happen, it's not only do I think that a lot of the enacted rulings and guidelines and requirements and this and that are going to get struck down i do believe that it will open up the door for a lawsuit uh people v whitmer uh and potentially lead to some sort of a recall based on what she's done that's a very good point because now there's legal standing because it has been deemed illegal and not, not not even but, the the fact that it's illegal, but the fact that it's it's gone on since you know for what six months. Yeah, basically at this point, yeah. So you know, realistically, with that long and it's and her constant battling with the legislature, which they should be working together, but having the legislature be that balance of power, including the Supreme Court, uh, even at the state level. It kind of, you know, given that it's happened for so long and she's she's been so defiant to she wanted her way and not really work with the legislature, which happens to be just happens to be controlled by the opposite party, which to me, I hate parties anyway, but um, her her very partisan kind of acting and how she was camp- basically trying to be on the short list for VP candidates for the Democratic Party. And I think there's just, there's a lot of long list of things that really add up to potential for her getting a lawsuit of people v. Whitmer. Um, And I think realistically, that's going to be the bulk of Michigan outside of the Metro Detroit area and possibly Grand Rapids that are really going to, those are, you know, the, the mainline, Democratic center of Michigan is Detroit, realistically. Uh, not to say that everybody in Detroit is a Democrat, but traditionally the large metropolitan areas are a little bit more Democrat than they are Republican. But it, the bulk of the state being you know, fairly rural is probably, uh, eh, 
from what I have understood from people that have been out in the smaller towns periodically, most of them haven't done any kind of restrictions yeah. as far as masks and stuff. Yeah, they don't it's care the, out there. They just they, don't. <laughs> yeah. So it, it it opened this this was going to in speculating open a door for a lawsuit and the potential for a recall, which is that's big news. If whether it happens or not, who knows? But I I speculate that that that's something that could very easily happen. Right now. I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of recall because this actually just came up today in a conversation that I was having with my dad. He uh, recently decided to um, try to get a little bit more involved politically locally, uh, and he's gone to a couple of meetings and. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much because I don't know why he feel comfortable with me saying, you know, publicly or whatever. But long story short, he revealed to me that uh, recall is actually a really tricky process because I had no idea. This blew my mind. I just learned this today that when you recall some like a politician, uh, certain restrictions on things like funding are completely lifted for that particular person. And so, uh, like, opposing parties will often um, decline to recall an opposing politician, even if they can, because it allows them to, like, collect money above and beyond what they would normally, like, be able to be limited to. And it, it actually gives them a lot of power while they're being recalled. It's very strange and backwards. I, I didn't fully understand it, but it blew my mind. and so. There's a whole tactics and strategy that these parties do when they when there are recalls at stake, where like one side will actually be like, we're actually not, we're actually going to vote to not recall this person, even though you know they deserve it or whatever, because it would allow them to just pour millions of dollars into the Democratic Party, you know, fund or whatever. And I was like, really, that doesn't seem right to me, but apparently it's a thing, and I had no idea. Did you guys ever hear that before? No, that's rather fascinating. It's, uh, it definitely yeah. bears some looking into because I had no idea that was that was the deal. Well, I guess some, to some degree, using the term recall can be used either way. You bring some sort of case against, and right, right, re- remove her from office, right? Whether it's formal recall, you know, yeah. But I, since you brought it up, it just sparked that in my mind. No, that's fair. And I should mention that because I had no idea. You know, that was news to me. Uh, you know. There was a petition that had gotten, I think it had to get 400,000 signatures. I believe it was a recall of some sort against Whitmer. And it had gotten the requisite signatures. And last I heard, they were reviewing the signatures to see if they were valid. I don't know what the next steps in the process are, but uh, it sounds like that may, I mean. Go forward. Yeah, she's lost a lot of court cases this year. She's Mm -hmm. lost quite a few, but. Yes. But she's I mean, remained uh, just as defiant. So I guess my point is, uh-huh. it might actually be, it might actually be one of those scenarios where it's like, hey, let's be careful what we wish for because we could actually end up getting something different. To, and and to recall this, stuff holds to the same degree. It could also lead to maybe not necessarily recall, but an impeachment process. Right, right. Because I think yeah. I would imagine if if a recall would kind of give that sort of leverage, an impeachment process kind of would probably be not it might it could potentially 
lead to the same end of removing her from office. However, it could pro- possibly uh, get a. It would be less. It would be more restrictive, but with a potential similar outcome. Right. Yep. And that would be interesting too that you brought that up because that makes a lot of sense from my perspective because the things that were being done were just found to be illegal. So now it's like, wait a minute, there's legal standing for impeachment because there's proven illegal activity performed by the politician. Right. By the highest yeah. court in Michigan. So right. it's not like this was yep. just some circuit court that you know said a thing and it can be appealed. It's like, this is the highest court in Michigan. So the only way it could go further is go up to the, the federal Supreme Court. But I don't know. I don't know if that would apply, to be honest. Right. And that's that's the other question is, you know, it would the... It's it's difficult. We're know, talking about state law here. We're not talking right. about federal law at all. Because this is, according yeah. to the Michigan State kind I don't think the federal courts would have any say in this at all. Fair. But, well, yeah. It's I'm a just state, a simple plebeian. Again, none of us are lawyers. Maybe it would, and I'm just ignorant. You know? Yeah, that's and that's that's why I'm not saying anything definitive. I can't right. give. I I have no legal basis for anything. Right. I'm saying it's yeah. all speculation and guessing. Yeah, we're just a bunch of guys drinking beer with knives in our pockets, you know? <laughs> oh, you're drinking the beer, I'm having some DP. Roger that. <laughs> but, you know, regardless, you know, it, it's it, there's there's a lot of potential for, you know, legal action against the governor. And, you know, whether you agree with it or not, the, the Supreme Court made a ruling and they took their time doing it, yep. which the government was never designed to move quickly. Uh, but when you're when you're talking about you know the how something affects uh, you know people's lives, you don't want to move hastily. You wanna you want to take your time, be thorough, and actually put proper time and effort into you know. And again, a lot of that could be said about a lot of other things going on in 2020. But yeah, and I, I'll throw this in here too because um, I don't know if I don't know if we covered this in the last podcast or not. Uh, so stop me if we did, but. Um, I, I personally, while most of the COVID stuff I've been mostly unaffected by, just with my job and everything, I've been able to cope just fine. So I'm not trying to play victim. But I was I was affected a little bit by one of the governor's orders directly. Uh, she passed down an order. I think it was in August, like very early August, um, about the ag industry in particular. Now I work in the ag industry. I'm not like a farm worker. But I work for an agricultural uh, co-op, and uh, I you know, I do software development for them. So I'm not on the actual agricultural side of that business, but I'm still lumped in with agricultural workers. So we were deemed um, vital workers or, or essential workers early on when this whole thing was started. So you know I could continue to work and everything. So I was very fortunate there. But she handed out an order that said, hey, anyone that works in the agricultural business needs to have all their employees tested for COVID. Like it was a mandate because seasonal workers were coming in and of course they're traveling around the country and things like that. And so the agricultural industry was sort of pegged or identified as a potential hotspot. So the, yeah. So the Michigan Department of Agriculture and you know, with the governor's office and everything, they handed down an executive order that said, okay, all you ag... Uh, ag companies, if you're in the agricultural space, you know, so you were deemed essential, you have to have everyone tested. And of course, all the companies were like, uh, what, you know, uh, so some of our competitors, for example, or, or you know, our, our peer 
uh, companies in the industry. There were lawsuits filed. You know, I obviously I'm not at liberty to say very much, probably, but I'll keep it vague. But um, you know, so there was there was fighting from the industry to say, can we block this because this doesn't seem legal? Because first of all, it's a huge expense. Uh, and and then there's they had all sorts of quarantine. You can go look it up because it's you know it was a public order. So, um, you know, certain agricultural workers, if they were found to have it, they had to isolate. You know, and all this. And of course, if you guys know anything about the agricultural industry and the seasonal workers that come in and out, you know, that's a crapshoot. <laughs> you know, these guys are moving all over the place all the time. They're bringing their families. They're living in shared housing all the time that is usually provided by the farm. And so now all of a sudden putting it's all like this playing, responsibility on these like companies, Russian it's just ridiculous. So, okay, what happens if a bunkhouse, someone has it. So you're telling me all of these workers can't work anymore for two weeks. What about them? You know, they're, you know, they actually make decent monies, believe it or not doing what they do. I mean, it's not, they're not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but they're also not, you know, poor. Um, so it's just, it was, you know, there was all these questions. So uh, there was a lot of pushback from the industry, but the long story short is, you know, we did, I did have to get tested. Now it wasn't a big deal. You know, we just did a nasal swab, but the thing I was worried about, you know, normally your, your medical records are confidential between you and your doctor, right? That's, that's how it goes. We have laws in place to protect that privacy. So you're not obligated to share your medical records with it between anyone, but you and your doctor, it's a private thing. Uh, even your company, you know, isn't they don't have their you know they don't have a right to all of that. Well, here it enters in the situation where the state is mandating testing. So I'm thinking to myself, and I had discussions with my family, like because uh, we were asked to sign waiver forms, we were asked to consent to things, and I was like, what are we consenting to here? You know, so I asked some questions with my company's HR, and I got these questions answered, and basically, you know, yeah, you know, we were the way the testing was being done our results were required to be shared with the state. So, you know, uh, you got to pick your battles. I wasn't willing to die on that particular hill, given the times we find ourselves, in, you know, but um, it was kind of personal to me. I was like, I, I'm being asked to consent to something here that normally, you know, we wouldn't be consenting to here. You know, uh, there's probably some legal grounds here that are being violated, but because it was a governor's order, everyone just needed to comply with it or else they're, they were going to pay, you know, so um, now that this has happened, I really I'm going to watch that closely because I'm I'm wondering what the fallout from that's going to be. You know, so that's just one small way I was affected personally that I wasn't happy about at the time. That now I'm really interested. Like, hey, what about that? You know, I was forced under threat of termination. Like, <laughs> hey, you got to comply with this. You know, so yeah, it could be a class A. I don't know if you can class yeah, action against yeah. the government, but. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe that could be it. So I'll well, have, to, I'll have to watch of, that. It's in the territory of people versus Michigan, but I, I have a feeling that with this Supreme Court ruling, she's going to get a lot more lawsuits from right. the ag industry, from, you know, just the people people at large uh, and so on. It's going to really, I think it's, you know, going to open up the door for a lot of, a lot of action. And it's, I, I, I speculate that it, it could, just so that I'm clear in my wordage here, it could, by speculation, lead to her getting removed from office. Yeah. I mean, that's possible. I don't probably see that happening, but you, I do acknowledge it's a possibility. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that it's going to happen, but I, I, I could definitely give I think there's a strong case for the prob po the possibility of it happening. I would agree there. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to follow to see what the next steps are, because I know that there's other actions pending, you know, like I mentioned that petition. So this will be, uh, it's probably an interesting month moving forward to see where we go from here as a state, number one. And number two, what's the legislature going to take action on, you know? It's well, going to be an interesting month even without that you know, yeah, other elect electoral stuff going on. But you're right. Yeah. that's It's just fuel on the fire. Yeah, and it's it's going to shake up. I think it's going to shake up the election the way people vote, too. Yeah. Oh, I would definitely agree. You know, it's uh, people don't realize this because they get enamored with the federal side of elections but your local elections are the most important because they directly affect you yes they are yeah yep. well and, that, and that's the the local you know local you know city state elections are going to affect you have more much more effect on you than the federal government does because you know no matter what obama or trump or bush or clinton have done you know it doesn't affect you know me individually near as much as something that you know, my hometown or, you know, the state of Michigan rolls down and say, hey, this is going to happen. This is very true. So it's, it's, it's something to keep an interest in. And I think that's that's also kind of fueling people's desire to get into preparedness and, you know, have the things that they're, they need uh, to be prepared. And whether it just be a plan or gathering of equipment, um, supplies and that sort of thing which you know there are some supplies that i'd really like to get i'm just not necessarily in a position to be able to achieve that um and to some degree i treat i treat it like nothing's going to change just because you know it's i'd rather prepare for the worst and hope for the best and instead of you know being caught with my pants yeah you got to continue to live like the world's been on you know until such a time as it comes to an end you prepare and you live your life normally. Otherwise, you know. Yeah, I I'm not one of those doom and gloom. Oh, the world's gonna end. Blur. It's a I'm preparing just in case, but I'm anticipating things. Just keeping on, or you know, at least yep. you know, maybe not normal, normal, but you know, adjusting to a more stable position. Yes, so, uh, if you guys want to. Uh... Want to close on an update from last week? We talked about computers and upgrading. Oh um, lord, <laughs> that world's going through a lot of fun right now. Yes, um, I decided to start the first part of my upgrade and order a new computer case and another uh, SSD. I thought you were. I thought you were firmly in the anti-SSD camp. No, no, no. I uh, I have an NVMe in this computer, actually. But uh, who in tarnation would be anti SSD? Is that even a thing? Um, I think it may have been misconstrued because I said I loved my drives that I had in there right now, and they were functional. But uh, yeah, regardless, I, exactly. I uh, yeah, I bought a SSD so I can get rid of the. 300 gigabyte hard drive, which has served me well for upwards of 10 years. 
wow. just um, outstanding. Um, but yeah, I bought a Corsair case. It's got all the fancy lights on it. Uh, my case has a gigantic, I don't even know what it is. It's, I jokingly said earlier to my, uh, my cousin from last week's podcast that it was a 7,000 millimeter fan. It's, it's probably a 200 or 250 or something, but, uh, yeah, it's obnoxiously loud and it's an old case. So yeah, it's, uh, served its time. It's the original case that I bought when I got into big time computer stuff and, yeah, that's going to be going out the window in the near future. And then the rest of the upgrades will uh, come behind. I'm waiting on that Ryzen 3 announcement soon to see what kind of products they'll be offering before I buy a processor. You know, even if I don't get one of those, the other generation, the current will be cheaper. And then waiting for a, a 30 series card. I'm not going to go 3090 because that's just, yeah. That's absurd. Yeah. Isn't that like a $1,500 card? It's twelve hundred dollars. Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, even a thirty seventy is at least at the very least on par, if not a little better than a twenty eighty Ti. I heard the thirty eighty so, launches are going terribly for no the, the thirty eighty and the thirty ninety launches are abysmal. What's they've going been, on with them? They've been plagued with problems, uh, power problems. They've uh supply problems bot problems you know bots buying up all the cards so that they can reach actual people yeah so it's it's the launch has not gone well and from what i understand they delayed the 3070 launch for like a month and i think that has a lot to do with the fact that the the launch for the 30 series has just been awful it seems we've entered a new phase it seems we've entered a new phase, and for all those who are in the tech world that listen to the pod, if anybody follows Jay's two cents, he explained about the botting thing. It's like this has started in the shoe industry with like I'm gonna say this word, and I don't even know if you guys are gonna understand what a freaking Yeezy is. It's this ugly ass shoe. People buy them and buy the truckload, but bots buy them all up and resell them. And this is what appears. Right. Same difference, you know, it's a fancy tennis shoe with a name behind it. But the bots in that industry appear to have started coming over to the tech industry to try and do the same thing, which is just going to make Great. getting a card or a processor Great. or, you know, whatever it is, even harder, which it's just, it's dumb. It's dumb, you know? The technology and the technique have been proof tested in another industry. And now it's going to, it's not, if it's going to start spreading to other industries, it's going to start doing it to everything. Yeah. You know, any well, kind of enthusiast grade anything. And another thing to think about is not only, you know, with the way that the, the launch of the 30 series cards, this is going to play into AMD's hand quite a bit. Yeah, with because, Big Navi. Yeah, because if, if Big Navi can match or even supersede to a, even a small degree the 30 series cards, and they can be at the same or slightly better price point, NVIDIA's in trouble because... Not a botch launch. Yeah, the, 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 I mean, they would have been... They would they would have been at least in a comparable position with it had they not botched launch. But with a botched launch, it's it's really playing into AMD's hand because because not only is the big Navi, but they're also you know announcing the you know going to be announcing the or releasing the new series for the Ryzen processor. Yep. So which they've been kind of beating Intel for a while now. Yeah. 
and I'm kind of in the same boat as Jeremy. You know, I, I when I built my machine earlier this year, I specifically built it so that it could be upgradable, knowing that Ryzen 4000 was coming, um, and that was going to sort of dictate my upgrade path to an actual proper gaming machine. Um, so yeah, I'm. It's cool to hear that you've uh, sort of taken those first steps to get ready for that, Jeremy. That's, that's good news, man. It's uh, it's gonna be nice, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with keeping my motherboard. And I was talking to Andy before the pod, and the one that I have is a really good board. The ones that are out there don't seem to make me feel some kind of way about them. Um, I'm an Nvidia guy through and through. I will never buy an AMD card as long as I live, even though I love their processors. So yeah, I'm, I'm perfectly. As they say, I'm as happy as a pig in shit. <laughs> I mean, I've been pleased as punch with my AMD card. Uh, from what I understand, the 5700 XT is the one that just had serious driver issues, but mine's been just... Although it's a 5600 as opposed to a 5700, but... I, uh... I'm running a 1060, so I'm two gens behind now, an NVIDIA 1060. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, when you start seeing your card get put on the list of uh, recommended and or um, minimum specs, it's, it's key for me that it's time to <laughs> yeah. move on. Well, and you got to and you got to be concerned with the fact of, you know, you know, our newer prices processor is going to be able to fit your socket yeah i have an am4 so i should be pretty good on that okay you're running ryzen never mind yeah 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 yeah, yeah. And, you, and what you're you're going to want to upgrade that upgrade that and that shouldn't be too hard you're what kind of motherboard are you get running asus rog strix and it's an x370 chipset right yes it can only handle up to an eight core so i'm limited by that but eight cores I mean, you're gonna you're gonna get a good processor. You can get a good uh, punch for eight cores. You know, you can get into the the low Ryzen seven range easy. I think I was looking at this Ryzen seven thirty seven hundred the other day, and that's probably the one that I'm gonna go with right now. You know, bearing in mind whatever the release is, but I mean, even that, you know, I don't anticipate like the botting not happening to AMD's products as well. You know, it's like. So I'll probably well, just get a 3700. Another problem with the botting, though, is just if if the the manufacturer can supply enough, it's not going to be as bad necessarily. It's still it's still going to be a problem to keep an eye on. But it's if because the other half of the the botting issue within the 30 series cards is you know just they didn't have a lot of supply and. So it's just they it got botched on a couple, you know, between the bots and just supply issues in general. Is that's they they really it really hurt Nvidia. On top of having issues with power and power distribution and that sort of thing. Well, and then the other thing, like with the supply, it's like you've got the COVID crap going on, so factories can't. I mean, they're limited with production, and you know, so it's like. Yeah, I I wouldn't want to be a tech company trying to do any sort of a release this year. You're yeah. you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, and the other part of it too is, like, 
hacking and stuff is always one step ahead of the security protocols. That's just, that's the nature of business. You know, it's like missiles are one step ahead of missile defense, you know, all that, all that type of stuff. So when you look at that, people have had all this time to sit at home and develop these protocols for launches they've known have been coming for botting and shit. But there's a couple of instances where people built their own bot to get a card because they had to beat the bots from people that were trying to be shady. <laughs> well, and, and on that note, it's kind of funny. People have actually been making bots to outbid, you know, bots on like eBay and stuff, you know, and kind of really screwing over the, the, the scalpers, you know, the bot scalpers and be like, ha The good thing that NVIDIA did after that is they looked at all the orders and I don't know the outcome of it, but they just released a press release, looked at all the orders and looked at the ones that were shady, like, you know, mass orders. Yeah. Why they didn't have one per, I don't know. That's just, yeah. Well, and, and and it's Jay's two cents and uh, Phil had discussed is basically they, they needed to have a better authentic authentication system in place during purchase to to try and you know ensure that the people were buying and that could have saved them a headache from the get-go and that so you know having some sort of authentication is you know prove you're human actually doing this and you're not a bot that could have saved them a huge headache i've even had to do that recently when i log into newegg i've had to get a two-factor authentication a couple of times I, I think that's as a result of the botting. Yeah, I would agree. Anything else anybody wants to throw in before we uh, shut the back door on this one? Can I throw in a towel? Sure. I'll consider oh, it through. I wouldn't mind uh, throwing something in about a gun purchase that I made uh, this past week, just throwing it out there. Ooh. Kind of topical because it involves Remington, which has made headlines in the gun industry in the last week or so. Oh God! Uh, it, what anyway, do you do now? Up, well, they well they went they went bankrupt and their assets just sold. They finally finalized, I guess, the who's getting divvied up on what of Remington's resources or whatever they owned. So anyway, uh, so what I I bought a hunting rifle, something that I've needed for a little while. Um, going hunting this season with my dad and everything so uh, i actually got a scope for christmas that's been sitting around so it's needed a rifle to put it on so i uh i ended up getting a remington 700 which wasn't my first choice uh for a hunting rifle i actually wanted to go with a weatherby but the vanguards are a little bit hard to find around here so rather than order one online um i got a decent deal on one at the sportsman's warehouse here in town um, so the Remington is not what it used to be, obviously. That kind of goes without saying. Um, you know, obviously Remington at one point in time was a powerhouse American firearms maker, and they've just been going downhill and downhill and downhill for decades. The, really the only good things they still make, uh, they make decent ammunition, not great, but decent ammunition. And the Remington 700, the their classic rifle, uh, is still at least sort of worth its salt. <laughs> so I was not too nervous about buying one. I was like, okay, well, this, you know, I wouldn't buy any other Remington firearms product these days, but the 700 is a tried and true platform. The action 
uh, you know, it's those old tried and true things. So I, I just knew what I was getting. So I got a, a black synthetic stainless steel model, and it's their ADL trim level or whatever you want to call it. So it's the cheapest way to get into the 700 platform. And they cut some corners here with stuff this stuff that's really not important because I'm not going to be a, a a big time hunter. If I was dragging this thing out all the time to go hunting, then it would be I would invest a little bit differently. But this is really my first hunting rifle, so I was pretty comfortable buying what I did. So it's nice because you know, it's stainless steel, so it's got a nice finish on it that'll resist sitting in my safe most of the year. So I'm planning on going shooting this weekend actually to zero it in. So it was really nice finally being able to give that that scope a home since I got it almost a year ago. It's coming up on Christmas again here, not too long. So um, that felt really good. So uh, yeah, new addition to my, my gun safe. So funny story about the Remington thing. I was curious when you mentioned that. So their ammunition business got bought by a company called Sierra Bullets. So yes. I guess Remington will still be around under different names. Yes, and, they will uh, definitely keep the brand. Remington's got too much brand recognition. Even if it is, I mean, the reason they went, for all those who aren't in the know in the gun world, Remington's reputation in the last maybe, what, five or so years, maybe even 10, their products have been kind of meh. Well, they've been horseshit. I mean, I'm, I'm not even going to cut corners. Like, they've been horseshit. <laughs> Yeah. Anything, anything new they've developed. That's why I said when I was, you know, I was like, they've been going downhill for decades, man. It's been bad. Yeah, their ammo's been bad, and then uh, they've had a oh. couple of botched handgun launches that they had yes. all kind of trouble. Oh, man. I'm, I might have a talking point that addresses some of the things we've already talked about. I'm sending it into our little group chat. Ah. Oh. Um... Two other things, and I'll wrap up the Remington thing real quick. Sportsman's Warehouse bought Tapco, which I didn't know that Remington owned Tapco. And then... What is Tapco? Uh, they make, like, shitty AK stocks and stuff. It's, it's like a... Okay. It, budget Magpul. Okay, all right. And then Franklin Armory, controversial Franklin Armory, with their football bullet gun that failed it's to be expected bought uh bushmaster i guess remington owned bushmaster so there you go and we'll let uh yeah. we'll let fork here uh i take it back it, it was an old article ah. well and and on to the remington point i think um the comp the holdings company that owns palmetto state armory can't remember the name of that company but they bought something from remington and i i thought it was going to be their ammo business but I think someone, like you mentioned, someone else got that. So who, is it who JJE Capital Holdings? I think that's it. Yeah, I think they. So the they're basically going to the both Palmetto State and whatever element of Remington that just got bought are going to be owned by the same company. So the thought is that's going to bolster Palmetto State's Armory's ability to do things. For those of you who don't know, Palmetto State Armory is this sort of smaller gun and well, not an ammunition manufacturer. Um, they're a smaller gun manufacturer out of North Carolina that is has been gaining popularity quite a bit for making very well-priced in-house made firearms, especially their AR platforms have been very popular. I think their stated mission statement is to get as many good guns into the hands of everyday Americans as possible. So that's good. Palmetto State Armory is a good company. 
and knowing and that they bought a couple of pieces of it that's, exactly that's good that's, yep it's really reassuring because they could really use use a big chunk like that that'd be cool for them yeah it's always worrying when a company like that is going out of business or what have you that you know some illegitimate concern you know that just wants to destroy the gun world buys it and then they're just like yeah close liquidate yeah. yep so yeah um for those who obviously you can't see our discord chat but fork sent us an article and it it's is dated article. like you said it's dated june. as of june but uh our favorite governor had 22 lawsuits against her so i can only imagine if some of those are going that what we discussed earlier would uh well what's more yeah. alarming if you then that article like you said it's from june she had 123 executive orders in june <laughs> Yeah, I think it was 200 something now. It's October now. Yeah. So it's just been uh, li quite literally, it's not an exaggeration to say hundreds of executive orders that she's passed down. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox and we're well over an hour and a half at this point. <laughs> yes, we are. Well, everyone uh, have a, uh, a good evening and uh, yeah. I guess uh, Bye. next, next time we'll have an update on our, uh, courage. our uh, I was going to give the Such goodbye. Be strong, strong. Be of good courage. God bless America. Long live the Republic. Bye-bye. <laughs>